What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Rewired Soul Podcast. It's your host, Chris, and today's guest is Beverly Thompson. All right. So we are going to be discussing her brand new book, which is amazing, and it's called Anti-Depressed. So I was so excited when Beverly sent me an early copy of this book that I finally had a chance to sit down and read. And once I picked it up, I could not stop reading it because as many of you know, I'm a recovering drug addict. I've been diagnosed with uh, depression and anxiety. I've been on and off antidepressants and all that. And yeah, there's, there's a conversation that just is not had. And it's about the side effects of antidepressants and should we be taking them? So some of you uh, have listened to my other episodes where I've had like David Robson on, where we talk about, you know, the expectation effect and, you know, how placebos work. And I also had um, Eric Vance on and we talked about placebos. So antidepressants can be very helpful, uh, you know, even if it's just the placebo effect, but we do need to weigh the pros and cons. And something that uh, Beverly discusses in this book, which we talk about in this conversation, is that you know, informed consent is a big deal, right? And oftentimes, especially with antidepressants, we're not told, we're not told about the possible side effects. But uh, in Beverly's book, she uh, dives into some of the more severe side effects, how people actually become more suicidal or more depressed even uh, from taking these antidepressants. And I, I kind of push back a little and ask her like, well, how do we uh, know? How can we attribute it to the medication? And not that, you know, it was just depression. And she actually has some answers and cites some research and all that. And she even tells me about one of the, you know, uh, rare side effects that's actually more common than we think when it comes to antidepressants. And this is just a very, very important topic because not only do we need to be talking more about mental health and medications and destigmatizing medications, we need to have as much information as possible, whether it's for our own mental health or if we have someone in our life who might be struggling, you know, and they might not be getting the proper information because it is not being put out there. Like, listen, I'm a father. I've talked about this many times. My son just turned 13, right? Mental illness and addiction runs in our family. So he's at the prime age where these things start to happen if mental health issues will occur, you know, within him. So this is something that, you know, as a parent, I find really important. So I, I really, really appreciate Beverly uh, writing this book and having the chance to come on. So yeah, before we get started, also real quick warning, <laughs> Beverly and I, we are in very different parts of the world. I believe she's in Northern Scotland and the internet's a little bit shoddy. So you'll hear some like, kind of like delays in the way we like respond to each other. So I just want to kind of give you a heads up, like, uh, uh, but it doesn't like cut out or anything crazy. So just want to give you a little warning as a courtesy. But you know what? Another hack that I just want to tell you, uh, as many of you know, I listen to all my books at two times speed. I also listen to podcasts at two times speed. And when I listen to podcasts at two, uh, two times speed, it gets rid of any kind of delay. You like, you don't even notice it. So if you want to step up your podcast listening or your audio book listening, give two times speed a try. All right. But anyways, make sure you head down to the description. Uh, make sure you're following Beverly. I've also provided some other resources that she talks about. And most importantly, grab a copy of her book, Antidepressed. It is out now. All right. But before we get started, 
Uh, if you're new, make sure you're following the podcast or you're subscribed. Uh, if you are uh, a regular listener, do me a favor, head over to um, Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and leave a review. That helps out a ton. All right. And also make sure you're following me over on Instagram and Twitter at The Rewired Soul. I love chatting with all of you. And it's so you don't miss any upcoming episodes or any of the other uh, projects I'm working on. All right. But anyways, without further ado, here's my conversation with Beverly Thompson about her brand new book, Anti-Depressed. All right. Hello, Beverly. Thanks so much for joining me. How are you doing today? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for inviting me to talk with you. Yeah, absolutely. I've been, I was looking forward to your book for a long time. Uh, the book is Anti-Depressed. I loved it. So before we dive into the topics of the book, can you introduce yourself to everybody? Let them know what your background is. Sure. Um, I'm a writer and a researcher. I'm based in Scotland, in the very north of Scotland. Um, and for the past 10 years, I've been focusing on psychiatric medication, in particular antidepressants, and their effects on individuals and society. Um, and my key areas of interest um, are dependence, adverse effects, withdrawal, and prescription-induced suicide, uh, particularly amongst young people. Yeah, so what what particularly got you interested in this topic? Because it's not something that's talked about a lot, obviously, and you touch on this uh, in your book, but was there anything that happened? Did you notice anything in, in Scotland? Or you talked a lot about the United States, where I am, and you know what I mean? Was there anything that you saw that made you want to dive deep into this? Yeah, sure. I was working working in a counselling role in schools, in um, primary schools and secondary schools. Um, and for quite some time, I'd started to notice that the language around the way that people were speaking about children was changing. Mm. So we were starting to notice things like teachers were saying, oh, I think there's something wrong with him, or I think he has ADHD. And it kind of started an interest. And I started to think, hmm. Times are changing here and something's happening. So then I had a friend whose daughter, unfortunately, died by suicide um, after taking the drug uh, Paxil in the States, uh, Paroxetine. And that, that was another thing that got me interested in the subject. So it, it was quite a few things altogether, but I became quite obsessed by the subject shall we say over the course of a few years yeah so uh so i come from a mental health background which is why i love diving into these topics and you know it's it's interesting for me because i'm a huge advocate for mental health i've worked in addiction treatment i'm a recovering drug addict i've struggled with depression and anxiety i've been off and on medications and all that and i'm very pro get help treat your mental health but uh, my background's in YouTube and kind of like you, I noticed the language changing and I noticed how medications, especially here in the United States, it was the first option rather than the last option, right? And, you know, I wasn't as concerned yeah. until, I, until I started realizing how much it was happening with kids. Like you mentioned ADHD, but anyways, 
I, uh, as I started to talk about this and as I started to raise some concern publicly, I saw that there was a lot of backlash, like instantly, like people are like, no, my child needs this or no, I need this medication. And it was really, it really kind of surprised me how defensive people get about this topic. It's a tricky topic. So from your research, from all the people you've interviewed, because you do a lot of interviews in the books and stuff like that, where do you think this defensiveness comes from and this protection of medications and all of that? Well, I think if we we look back uh, from when Prozac was first introduced, which was in 1988, so that's quite some time ago, we started to buy into the idea that um, we had a chemical imbalance, it needed fixing, it was a cultural acceptance that once, once there's something wrong with us, it's our brain that's at fault and it's our brain that needs fixing. And I suppose what has happened is parents bought into the idea that we need a, we need an antidepressant to make us happier in life. And so they automatically pass that on to their children. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because, you know, uh, part of that, like where you just touched on, like with the medications and, you know, we need to be happy and stuff. Like, uh, I think we talked about it a little bit on Twitter. I had, uh, you know, Alan Francis on here who wrote that great book, uh, Saving Normal. I had uh, Randolph Nessie on here who talks uh, his book. I love the title. It's called Good yeah. Reasons for Bad Feelings. But anyways, we're we're kind of, uh, I've noticed that we're kind of pathologizing everything and throwing medications on that. So through your research, what have you learned about, uh, you know, like the chemical imbalance theory and are most people just dealing with something that they're going to get over? Uh, how prevalent is like long-term depression that should be medicated? What's kind of like the overall scope of all of this, do you think? Well, I describe the chemical imbalance theory as a, a commercial and political no-brainer, really. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it was, it's the way that medics have been able to manufacture consent for these drugs. So a lot of my book is about, and the one thing that I wrote the book for, is to make sure that we become informed patients, informed mm-hmm. consumers, informed customers. And what the chemical imbalance theory allowed was it allowed um, medics a way to manufacture consent. So everybody thought they had a chemical imbalance and everybody thought these drugs fixed that imbalance. So it's all right to take them. Okay. So if we think about that, um, what we have to think about is if we are looking at informed consent, And in 40 years, this is the thing, in 40 years, there has never been one iota of of proof that a chemical imbalance actually causes depression. So if that's the case, have we been giving informed consent regarding antidepressants for the last however many years since 1988 and Prozac was born? Are we, being, are we being told a lie about what is causing our depression? Because we now begin to realize, and a lot of medics now, are, are, a lot of psychiatrists are regarding it as psychobabble or as biobabble and something that, that was just constructed to sell drugs. But isn't it time that we started to question it? And that's one of the reasons that I wrote my book, because I think it is. Yeah. I really do think it is. There are 
there, there are, can I just say, there are two things that I have to say. I didn't write my book because um, I wanted to tell people they should or they shouldn't take drugs. That's not yeah. for me to do. I wrote my book because I want people to become informed customers, informed consumers. And I want people to become educated about the drugs that they take. The FDA tell us to become an active member of our care team, you know, and, and many medics nowadays tell us that we should become educated about our drugs. And that is why I wrote the book, because I need people to start to understand that we understand very little about these drugs and we need to learn more. Yeah, I, I think you did a phenomenal job just, you know, discussing where we're at, you know, with the research and how we don't know about certain long-term effects. And and one of the difficult things is, you know, like me, I'm not, you know, a doctor, you know, you're not a doctor and stuff. But one of the issues that I, I realize is that yep. the doctors aren't always giving us informed consent. So we almost need people from the outside of the medical field to research and discuss this because it's not always getting talked about but you know uh for for me personally um i was struggling with my mental health my whole life and when i finally got diagnosed it felt like a weight off my shoulders and the the chemical imbalance story really it just makes sense right we're like oh something's wrong with me oh you have a pill that changes <laughs> those chemicals but but yeah i i remember when i first I forgot which book I was reading, but it was talking about, you know, how quick we diagnose people. I look back when I was diagnosed, like I've, I've gone on to uh, talk with more mental health professionals and get a proper diagnosis. But the first time I got diagnosed, it was about a 10 minute conversation and I was given medications. So, <laughs> you know, and it took me a while to look back on that and say, wait yeah. a second, like Absolutely. that was really quick to start putting chemicals in my body. But, um, then when it comes to the chemical imbalance theory, like it made sense, but a book brought it up. It, it, it asked like, when's the last time you went to a doctor and they checked for your chemical imbalance? And I was like, that blew my mind because yeah, you never go to a doctor and nobody's ever like, Hey, let me check your serotonin right. levels to see how this is going. And I was like, huh, wait a second. So, so how, yeah, I mean, it, go ahead. In all other areas of medicine, we have scans, we have blood tests, we have, um, um, and we, we actually want to, to proof that what they're telling us is, is actually true. But when it comes to our mental health, there are no biological, there is not one piece of evidence that any of thing that we might be diagnosed with is actually biological. Apart from um, dementia and some very rare um, diseases, but it's not, we are probably being treated for something that is not biological. And if we start to think about it that way, and if we start to think, well, is it really my brain that's at fault? And why are they telling me it's my brain that it's fault? There's only probably a couple of reasons why they're doing that. Yeah, I, uh, I I got curious and I started diving into it. I'm like, where did this chemical imbalance theory come from? And I started learning about it. And 
and they do like they they have done like research around like to discover these different neurotransmitters but it's not something they're doing for us like you don't go to the doctor and they're not because they they were talking about like pulling out like you know brain cells and testing them or how they test on rats and they stimulate different parts of the brain and everything but for me for some of us they've never I, you know, I've never gone to a brain scan to see if parts of my limbic system are acting weird or, you know, whatever. So, um, you know, one thing I, I want to touch on just in case anybody's listening to this and just thinking like we're being like against antidepressants, but your main concern that you bring up throughout this book is the side effects. And I can tell you like right now I have an amazing doctor who talks and sits down with me, but I've had previous doctors and most of them don't discuss the side effects. So you come from a place of concern. Can you, can you kind of break down some of the side effects from these medications that you discuss in the book? Yeah. I mean, the one thing that doesn't happen when we are first prescribed antidepressants is that we are told about all the side effects that, that we could suffer from, or sorry, the adverse effects. I don't particularly like calling them side effects, mm. but I think side effects sounds like a, you know, a side dish you might get with your steak dinner, but um, it, they're adverse effects, you know, they're, they're nasty things. Um, and they affect every single part of our body and all our major systems. So the one thing that is happening is that People are not being told about these adverse effects. And this is where one of the major problems that is happening is that people are having adverse effects. They're going back to their doctor and it's starting a prescribing cas uh, cascade because what's happening is that they're being, being prescribed more drugs or being, being prescribed or, or being uh, diagnosed with different ailments, which are actually the adverse effects of um, medication. So. Um, yeah, it can it can be anything from, I mean, it can basically affect every single system in your whole body. But the most common ones, I suppose, are central nervous system problems, headaches, uh, sickness, feeling feeling nauseous, feeling sick, um, to very serious conditions such as akathisia, which I hope we will touch on because that's one of the most serious ones. Yeah, that was the first Suicidal time I heard of ideation. it. So, yeah. Had you not heard of it before at all? I never heard of it before your book. So yeah, after this, I definitely want to dive into that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, insomnia, increased anxiety. In fact, a lot of, a lot of, um, antidepressants have paradoxical effects so they actually cause the opposite of what they're trying to cure which is you know quite bizarre in itself so dizziness weight gain dry mouth um, headaches and and decreased sex drive is what is a big one for a lot of people and that's one of the main reasons that a lot of younger people will actually stop taking their medication because it affects their sex drive um I have to say, and I normally say this at the start of something, if someone's listening to this, they should never stop taking their medication. Uh, they should never stop taking medication called Turkey, and they should always do it with the advice of a professional or a support service. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's something, uh, you know, when I was working in addiction treatment, you know, I would talk about it and everything and medications because... You know, when I was working in addiction treatment, uh, you know, I wasn't a doctor, but we had a medical staff and they would just start throwing medications at people and stuff. And I would let them know like, hey, I'm not a doctor, 
But um, my one of my goals is to be on as few medications as possible because of all the side effects. I've had yeah. a ton of side effects. I've I've been through a few different uh, medications from like Prozac to uh, God, like um, I, I can't even remember all of them. <laughs> but one of the most recent ones, oh, Wellbutrin and some others. But anyways, I would tell people like, don't mm-hmm. you dare stop these because, like you said too, and you talk about this in the book, there are withdrawal effects. Some people get really suicidal if they stop taking them abruptly. So anytime I've come off the, yeah. my medications, I made some YouTube videos about this as well. I talk with my doctor. We make a plan to wean off of them and everything. And if I am going to get back on them, I talk to her first. Like, I just know, like, I, I try to put a big emphasis on that. But, uh, but yeah, a lot of those side effects, they're, they're highly common. But this one, and I'm going to pronounce it wrong, so feel free to correct me, but this acasthesia, <laughs> uh, right? Can you, can you explain acasthesia. that? Acasthesia. Okay, so I never heard of that. And it sounded, I'm like, wow, I've never run into anybody uh or maybe I have, and they just didn't know they had it either. And I don't know if this is just something we don't talk about in the States, but you can, can you kind of explain some of those symptoms? Are they while you're on the medication, when you're off of it, what happens? Yeah, akathisia is, I call it the A word of antidepressants. Um, it's a, a medication induced state. Um, and people call it the epitome of losing their mind. And it's often confused with um, psychosis. So it's very similar to, to, to psychosis. And it happens when you're starting, stopping, or you can be changing dose of some medications. And it's not just antidepressants. There are many other different types of medication that this can happen with. Um, it can cause a physical restlessness, so an, an agitation. People actually describe it as an inner turmoil, uh, an, an, an anxious state. Um, it also causes things like paranoia. So it can be physical, but it can also be psychological. And the one thing that it does is it, it induces suicide and is one of the major causes of suicide, which people know very little about. So it causes, it, it causes suicide uh, for two reasons. The first is that you lose so much control over your mind that you have such very little control over your thoughts. And in many cases, people describe it as their mind is actually telling them to kill themselves, which sounds very, very extreme, but it's true. The second is that the condition becomes so painful and it becomes so difficult to live with that people decide to end their lives because of it. Um, So there are some really great organizations in the States now that are actually trying to warn people about Akathisia, and it's the one, one thing that um, medics need and healthcare professionals need to be aware of. Mm. Um, I, I think that um, there can be no suicide prevention strategy or campaign without understanding Akathisia. And I think until we accept that, until we realise that, we have a, a a site in the UK, it's called Anti-Dep Aware, um, and it has something like five and a half thousand cases of young people 
who have died by suicide after being prescribed, have stopped taking, have changed dose, have changed medication. And it's all about antidepressants and akathisia and suicide. Um, and it, it's very sad. The one thing that I talk about a lot is vulnerability when it comes to taking antidepressants. Antidepressants can make us vulnerable for so many reasons. And especially amongst young people, they could be at home, they grow up, they go to university, they're no they no longer have a parent there looking after their medication needs and regimen. And all of a sudden, they might decide that they want to stop their medication. They might decide to change it. They might forget to take it. And children and young people can be very, very vulnerable when it comes to akathisia. Yeah. So one one thing that you brought up uh, in the book that I thought was a really, really good point, uh, and that's one of the reasons I love it. But when you were talking about suicide uh, organizations, suicide awareness and stuff like that, like I've been very involved with uh, suicide awareness. Um, we uh, here in the States, there's a, this thing called the out of the darkness walk where you raise money, but suicide prevention, and all this. But you mentioned how none of these websites or none of the topics None of them ever list the medications as a possible cause because like, even though your book dives into it, like I heard about that, but it, it kind of clicked for me. I'm like, why, why isn't that something? Because when we talk about, you know, is your loved one suicidal? Is somebody possibly in your life thinking about this thing? It's never brought up that medications might be the cause. So why, why do you think that is and what what do you think like or is is anybody working on like implementing this or are they afraid to or because i could see how it might be tricky you know because you don't want to scare people away from like treating their depression but you know it's it's a weird situation yeah i you know i think that prescription drug induced suicide is ignored by experts um and it's ignored by experts for a number of reasons and one of the reasons i suppose might be and i'm just saying might be chris i'm not saying is it might be that a lot of their funding comes from the pharmaceutical industry mm, the suicide organizations <laughs> perhaps mm. Yeah, that's, yeah, that, that's the only thing. Like I try not to, but like, I'm a big, like anti-big farmer because my drug of choice when I was in my addiction was prescription drugs. So I'm really like against like big pharmaceutical industries, but that's immediately where my, my mind goes. I, you know, I, all I, all I'm saying is that, um, antidepressants have a black box warning. Hmm. Yeah. They have an FDA black box warning. Um, a black box warning tells us that they can cause serious harm and they can induce suicide. Yeah. Would it not be would it not be right to think that medication might be should it not be a question that, that should be asked when it comes to to suicide prevention? Yeah, because you know, if nothing else, I hope people listening to this and it's something that I'm keeping in mind because you know, we uh, a lot of us are just unequipped with tools, right? We have a friend or a family member who might be suicidal, or, or we're told to look out for signs. And I think we need to add the list of like, are you on medications? Because this could be yeah. a possibility, right? But uh, uh, 
I, I wanted to ask you this too, because, uh, you know, I, I, I do a lot, I like to read books on like, you know, scientific thinking and like the scientific process and everything. And, you know, I try to think about arguments against arguments within a book. So my question to you is when we're talking about suicide or, you know, side effects and everything like that, as a result of these medications, how do we infer causality, right? Because I think that's where it's tricky, right? Because if I'm, if I'm from a, you know, a big pharmaceutical industry and you say, Hey, this person's committed suicide after taking the antidepressants. If I was from the pharmaceutical industry, I would say, well, that person was depressed. So they had a higher chance of suicide anyways. So how do we infer that the, the medication was the cause of the suicide? Well, it's very difficult, but it's very difficult because of the lack of research that exists when it comes to antidepressants. And this mm. is one area that, that we need serious, serious to pay serious attention to. Um, I, I think uh, I'd, there was recently um, some research that looked at all antidepressant trials between 1987 and 2013, and that was the published and unpublished ones. You have to, re to, to realize that a lot of the negative trials that happen when it comes to antidepressants are not published. So, um, and I think it said that one in 200 people who start treatment with, a, with uh, an antidepressant attempt suicide due to the effects of the drug. Really? Yeah, that's, that, that's, that's like yeah. really so interesting. <laughs> yeah, and I think people prescribed antidepressants, they are two and a half times more likely to attempt suicides than those taking placebo. So I, mm. I, I do highlight some of this research in my book. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess, yeah, during those types of uh, studies. Um, but, you know, uh, so when it comes to antidepressants, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts, because the, the book, like, you know, the primary argument is like, hey, we got to be informed about these medications, the side effects, possible side effects, uh, or, uh, the, you know, these adverse effects, <laughs> rather, as you say. But um, one thing I, I'm, I'm wondering, in what instances do you think uh, people should, or do you think uh, antidepressants could be beneficial, or do you think, like, there are other routes people should be taking because for example i recently had david robson on uh to talk about his book the expectation effect and it's a lot about placebos and nocebos and all that so when people believe their medication is doing something for them their body kind of reacts to it right but something that i think about with medications is sometimes the adverse effects are far worse than the benefits you get from the placebo effect so anyways the yeah. the question do you think antidepressants help anybody? What questions should they be asking? What should they be looking out for? Uh, and all that. Yeah, I think if, if somebody decides to take an antidepressant, that's their choice. But I think that, that people have to be informed about the, the benefits and the risks of taking antidepressants. Um, and the most important thing is that they stay on the antidepressant for the shortest time possible. There are now 45, over 45 million people in the US taking antidepressants. There are over 2 million children in the US taking antidepressants. And the majority of these people don't realize that they are probably dependent 
dependent on these antidepressants. When I say dependent on these antidepressants, they're not addicted to antidepressants. Yeah. It's a very, very different thing. Um, they basically, basically become, they have a new balanced state and they need the drugs to function physically and mentally. So this, this can happen very quickly for some people. People can become dependent on these drugs within a matter of weeks or months. So I know you're, you're an expert in addiction, but there's no craving, no drug-seeking behavior, yeah. no urge to use. We can function socially most of the time. But for some people, missing one dose of an antidepressant and suffering adverse effects missing one dose can show that they have signs of dependence. Mm -hmm. And once you show signs of dependence, your ability to withdraw from these drugs is going to be potentially incredibly difficult. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Something I try to teach people about a lot is the difference between uh, dependence and addiction, because addiction is like that seeking yeah. behavior. Like, I've never heard of anybody like up, like, you know, taking five of their antidepressants, you know, but it's different with pain no. pills. But no. I, I try to caution people with uh, anti-anxiety medications, because a lot of people turn to things like uh, Xanax and stuff. And those you know, you, you become dependent sure. to things like Xanax and withdraw from Xanax and cause like seizures and all sorts of stuff. But yeah, definitely. there's one of the reasons why you don't yeah. want to just stop your antidepressants because of that, of that dependence. So it's very important that, you know, we, we talk, uh, you know, to medical professionals and get off of them, you know, safely and keep an eye out. Personally, what I do anytime I'm off or on, even though I'm working with my doctor, I also talk with my girlfriend because we live together. I'm like, Hey, let me know if I start acting a little out of the norm, you know, as I'm adjusting medications or anything, uh -huh. because we don't always know. Right. But, uh, you, you also mentioned this in the book here in the United States, and it took me, you know, forever to learn this, but the United States is only like one of like, what, like two countries where we have like direct consumer marketing for medications. So I'm curious, yeah. uh, how is, uh, what are like the, the stats for like, um, prescribing in like, uh, in Scotland or like, uh, in, you know, the UK even, uh, with, uh, kind of like a nationalized healthcare system, are they prescribing less because there's less people coming in asking for them because they're not being marketed to, or is it just as bad? Like, what are the differences between, you know, the United States where every other commercial people see is like, Hey, you're feeling depressed, take these medications. I, th I think in the Western world, um, we have very similar levels of prescribing. Um, I, th I think that direct consumer advertising definitely has has an influence on what a, what a, a what somebody will go and ask for. What that, a particular drug that they that the, that they will ask for, but in terms of prescribing rates, they're very similar throughout throughout the Western world, um, some countries worse than others, but it's only um, North America and New Zealand that actually have direct consumer advertising. Mm, yeah. Um, and hopefully um, that will, I can't see that it will change. I would like to think that it will never happen in the country where I live. Yeah. It's the it, if you think about it, it's the worst kind of medical education, isn't it? It's the worst kind of an 
you know, it's the worst way to teach somebody what they should be doing for that, for the, the good of their health. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's the, you know, that's what I try to teach people about with uh, just marketing in general, because uh, like I, I have a background in marketing as, as well, and I try to do it, uh, you know, as ethically as possible. But, you know, um, with, uh, you know, capitalism and people trying to increase profits for shareholders and all that, marketing is dependent on telling people there's something wrong with them, right? Like when you're showing somebody a new car or clothes or whatever it is, you're saying that you are missing something or your life isn't as good. So when we talk about medications, it's like, oh, is your life not perfect? Take this medication. Right. Yeah. Let's 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 think of think about it this way. We live in the age of the consumer. Yeah. yeah. So, in all other areas of of being a consumer, the power has switched somewhat from the manufacturer of a product to the consumer, and that's the reason. And the reason for that is that because consumers have become more educated. Okay, so we know more about products, so the products have to get better. The manufacturers have to get smarter. Mm. But when it comes to pharmaceuticals, nothing has changed in 30 years. And the reason that's, that's the case is because we still think doctor knows best. We still think the pharmaceutical industry knows best. And it's the one area in our lives where the consumer doesn't have control and if if we think about it we chris we do 3.5 billion google searches every day yeah we can find out anything we want to find out nowadays why aren't we finding out about the most important thing in our lives and that's the drugs that we take that might alter our state of mind yeah and no, especially when it comes to and especially when it comes to our children we yeah. really have a right as you know we really have a responsibility as parents mm -hmm. to find out about the medication that we're giving our children yeah absolutely and and something that you know uh i i like again i'm very fortunate with my doctor and i'm so glad i found her but you know uh something i hope more doctors start learning is like it, you have to treat the whole patient, you have to find out what's going on in their lives, right? If somebody, if somebody just lost their job, if they're having difficulties at home, especially our children, you know, all these things, like there are circumstances that can create, you know, obviously I'm going to be depressed if I'm, uh, if I don't have that much money, if I'm stressed about how I'm going to pay my bills, if I don't have a job, all these other things. But, you know, something I, I often wonder, because I, I think right now is the best time to talk about this stuff, because we're in the middle of the uh, you know, we're going into year three of the mm -hmm. pandemic mm -hmm. or whatever, and we have vaccines and everything. And you have all this vaccine hesitancy. You have people who are totally against vaccines because of the mistrust of the pharmaceutical industry and all these things. And I see it. I'm like, yeah, that's warranted. Like you should be skeptical of them. But then yeah. you have, you know, these vaccines that are <laughs> helping save lives and prevent spreading this, uh, uh, you know, uh, this crazy illness. But, you know, then there's other medications like, you know, I'm on some heart medications. There's other medications for all sorts of illnesses. So what what are your recommendations or your advice or what do you do to find a doctor that you can trust? Like, what do you look for? Are there questions you that you ask? Uh, like, because sometimes we have to switch a doctor like this doctor is not looking out for my best interest. And I've personally had to do that before. So do you have any advice or insight in that realm?
Well, I live in a very system. Um, yeah. We basically have we basically have to take the doctor that we're given uh, with the NHS. So we don't we don't have that luxury unless we go private, which costs mm. a lot of money in this in this country, just like yourselves. But I think we have a right if we are not happy with the with with the the, the doctor that or the prescriber that we're seeing, um, we know that we should be given the information in terms of medication that we should not only be given the good side of the medication but also the the, the harms. And um, then, if we're not being treated properly, then we surely have a have a right to go elsewhere. I can't come on on the US system because yeah. obviously it's not something that yeah it's kind of difficult for me. But <laughs> in the in the UK in the UK, in the UK we we kind of have to take what we're given. Um, but I think people in the UK are starting to become more aware and are starting to see mental mental health medication very differently. Um, you know, we, we have to start to address the personal and societal factors that are making it difficult for us to cope with life. It's about a power imbalance, isn't it? It's not about yeah. a chemical imbalance, if we think about it. You know, we can all have a crap life at times. We can all have issues that we have to deal with. We've all had some degree of trauma in our lives. Um, and as long as we start to think that our mental health is to do with our biological uh, problems or and we need chemical uh, and we need drugs to fix it doesn't it doesn't that make other people like governments and doesn't it let it let them get away with things doesn't mm -hmm. it let them off the hook in terms of not addressing the issues that are causing our problems and making us unhappy and making life difficult for us. So if you think about it, the longer we talk about our mental health being biological, it's our fault and we need to fix it. Mm -hmm. Aren't they getting away with things? Yeah, no, I, absolutely. That's, that's something I, I think about a lot. And I've had, uh, you know, um, uh, Ron Purser on here to talk about, you know, the mindfulness industry, like that's not even a medication, but it's all kind of the same thing where uh, when we're told like this kind of individualism, right, it's you and you have control and you can make yourself better. It yep. kind of takes responsibility, right? Like, oh, no, no, no. It's fine that you're underpaid and overworked, right? <laughs> that's fine. You just need to get medications. Yeah, because it's your yeah, it's your brain. It's your brain that's a problem. It's not your crap job. It's not your fact that you hate living where you live. It's not the fact that you haven't got enough money to feed your family. No, it's your brain. It's your chemical imbalance. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's something that we need to, you know, start taking into consideration. But um, I'm curious uh, your thoughts, too, because um, I don't know how it is uh, over where you are. But here in the United States, there's... Um, uh, more and more people, it's not like so super mainstream yet, but alternative like depression treatments, right? So uh, some of them are mm -hmm. like, uh, we've been doing ketamine treatment, uh, transcranial magnetic stimulation uh, has been getting a little bit more popular. But yeah, ketamine is a different medication, which some people actually abuse, which is why I'm kind of reluctant to it. Transcranial medication. Uh, Please uh, don't. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, well, uh, and then psychedelics, people are talking about those. What are your thoughts about these alternatives, whether it's a different substance you're putting in your body or something external like TMS? I think people have to be very careful, especially with other, other drugs. Basically, they act the very same way that antidepressants work. Mm. You know, they don't cure us, they change us. Um, they don't they don't cure a chemical imbalance, they create one. And all the problems that, that you're going to have with antidepressants, eventually you would probably have with the other drugs as well. Mm-hmm. There's another issue that um, in the States you have a massive problem with, um, and it's again an issue that that it is about the vulnerability that people find themselves in. You have a huge problem with generics. Mm-hmm. And the generic cheap medication when it comes to antidepressants is really, really affecting people in, in, a, in a big way in terms of what's happening is that because they're in a balanced state and a lot of people are dependent, if they change a generic drug, they can have some serious side effects. And this has often caused akathisia too. Yeah. And, and I don't know if it's just because of my addiction background, but, but yeah, I, I think about, uh, you know, just all these different treatments and medications and, you know, all these other things. I, I try to talk to people because something I learned is like a lot of these things are just masking the problem. You know, there are these short-term solutions. We're not looking at everything else because uh, you know, my life has gotten just tremendously better just as I got sober, as I started, you know, repairing my life, going through therapy, doing all these other things. So all of these things, and then and then especially just learning about simple things like I go for walks in the morning, I walk a couple miles, mm-hmm. I get outside in nature, you know, uh, I, I, I spend time and hang out with my son and I, you know, I build relationships with people. So, you know, these other things have made me less depressed. Right. And especially learning to get away from that, that idea of the chemical imbalance. And I start working on these things and that's kind of helped me, uh, that's kind of helped me overall. Right. But, um, sure. Can I, can I just go back to what we were talking about before? Because I Mm kind of went off track there. A, A lot of, a lot of, you have to think about going back to the fact that we're talking about, this is, this is a huge business you know it's a, it's a multi-billion dollar business and a lot of these new treatments are just as opportunistic mm. you know we're finding people in positions now where they're seeking help elsewhere but is it really any different these are businesses too and we have to be very careful yeah yeah absolutely so, you know, one of the, one of the uh, last things I wanted to ask you about is, you know, like when you write this book, obviously this is something that you're passionate about. You've done a ton of research on and everything. What are, what are some of the key takeaways that you want people to have when they walk away from this book? What do you want? How do you, what, what actions do you want them to take? Or is it, you know, what conversations do you want people to have with their loved ones or, you know, themselves and, and all of that? I think the main thing that I want this book to be the I want it to be a resource so that you know people can find out everything that they need to know and make informed decisions about taking 
antidepressants. You have to remember that there are so many people at different stages of this journey. We have people who haven't yet decided whether they will take them. We have people mm. who have just started taking them, people who are dependent on them, people who are trying to withdraw. And what I'm trying to do in this book is cover all those areas. And I have a massive resource section so that people can actually find places where they can get help. I'm, I say throughout the book, my book does not give medical advice. And if anybody wants to buy my book yeah. because they think it does, then they, they will be very disappointed. But it is a massive resource in terms of signposting people to places where they can get help. The problem is at the moment that we need to address where people can get help because there's very little help available for people who are in a position where they're dependent or they're trying to withdraw. And the main aim is that we stop people getting to that point. If people want to take antidepressants for a short time to help them get over, um, you know, a short time in their lives, that's entirely up to them. But don't become dependent. Don't mm -hmm. get to a situation where you're suffering severe adverse effects. And for many people who have been on them for a considerable length of time, they will probably not be able to withdraw from them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and yeah, I, I think books like yours are, are so important and I hope everybody goes and grabs a copy. So so with the book, I know it it recently it recently came out, but uh where can people find it? Is it uh is it out internationally? Uh I know some people have a couple different release dates. Uh where is it available? Yeah, it's available um it's distributed through Penguin Random House. It's available on Amazon and in all major bookstores. Beautiful. Awesome. And and for anybody uh, who wants to keep in touch and follow all the amazing work that you're doing, where's, uh, I, I found you on Twitter. <laughs> uh, is that the best place to find you? Or what are some other routes for people to stay in touch? Yeah, they can find me um, on Twitter at uh, tap support, T-A-P support. Um, and they can find me on Facebook, Beverly Thompson, um, and on Instagram, Beverly Thompson too. Beautiful. Beverly, thank you so much. We have a massive time difference, so I'm glad we were able to link <laughs> up. And, and yeah, maybe we'll do this again sometime. That would be great. Thank you so much for having me. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Beverly Thompson about her new book, uh, anti-depressed and yeah like i said you know this is such an important topic and we need to be talking about it more um you know like whenever it comes to our mental health whether it's you know taking medications or going to therapists and all that like you know there's one of the most important things in our lives like we need to be as educated as possible uh the whole reason i started just learning and researching and educating myself was just to you know stay sober but then i realized how important it was i started learning all these things i'm like what nobody's even telling me about this so make sure you uh grab beverly's book and you know as we discussed she's not saying nobody should take antidepressants but we need all the information so we can make the best decisions for us that way we can find the best doctor. We can find ones that are being open, honest, transparent, ones that are knowledgeable, all that kind of stuff. So make sure you grab a copy of her book, Antidepressant, and read up on this stuff, get educated, learn, you know, and, uh, you know, if you, if, if 
well, you should like be skeptical of even Beverly stuff. Go check her stuff. See what the, you know, other opinions are. What are the other arguments? You know, I try to listen to, you know, each side of these things, uh, see what the popular, you know, consensus is and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, be skeptical of everybody, check it out. But just before we're putting stuff into our bodies, especially when it comes to, you know, mental health medications, we need to, uh, you know, be smart about it and be educated about it. Uh, I, I worked in an addiction treatment center for a very, very long time. Our doctors there played kind of fast and loose with medications. And I had to talk to people. I had to tell them like, don't stop taking your medications immediately. Uh, you could have withdrawal. The side effects can be terrible. You can become suicidal if you just stop your medications. So <laughs> these are things that they weren't being taught. So make sure, you know, don't, don't ever just read a book like this and be like, Oh, throwing out my medications. Never do that. But learn about these things because we're not always given all of the information you know what i mean but anyways uh make sure you head down to the description follow beverly grab a copy of her book all that stuff is linked down below as well as some of those resources uh resources that she mentioned okay but before i let you go uh make sure you're following me over on instagram and twitter at the rewired soul and and do me a favor, take a couple seconds, go leave a rating and review for the podcast over on Apple Podcast. And if you could, if you think this was a good conversation, an important conversation, share it on social media. All that stuff really helps out the podcast a lot. Um, a couple other ways that you can help support the podcast. First off, for all of you who are listening early, you're listening to this episode a day early, you already know about this. But for those of you who don't know, uh, you can become a paid subscriber over on Substack. It's either $5 a month or 50 bucks for the year. You get all of the regular episodes a day early. All right, that's linked down in the description below. And if uh, you listen to this podcast and you're somebody like myself who wants to improve your mental health, there's also an affiliate link down below for BetterHelp Online Therapy, all right? So BetterHelp is a service that I've personally used. I can't vouch for them enough. They have saved my butt. Uh, it's affordable. It's online. You work with a licensed therapist. And yeah, therapy is often, you know, a great, great, great resource if you're struggling with depression, anxiety, trauma, or just trying to deal with the BS <laughs> of everyday life and trying to keep your sanity. So check out that affiliate link for BetterHelp Online ther Therapy down in the description, all right? But anyways, another huge thanks to Beverly and a huge thanks to her for, you know, doing the research and writing this book on such an important topic. And yeah, for all of you, uh, I have one more episode coming for you this week. Uh, Will Store is actually returning back to the podcast to talk about one of his previous books. So that will be out later this week. And make sure you become a Substack subscriber because you'll get it a day early. All right. But other than that, I hope you have an amazing rest of your day and I'll see you next time.